0: Good morning. Like uh, Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody that might be visiting us for the very first time. So glad to have you here with us. And I also want to say hello to our online audience, those who are watching us live or on demand later. So, uh, so good to have you here with us as well. Well, if you've been watching the news, that you know that uh, there's more COVID craziness happening around the world and things are spiking Uh, we just want you to know that we are watching uh, the trends and the way things are trending. We've always made a commitment to partner with our local officials and cooperate with whatever they're asking. We've had our mask and been asking for reasonable distance for a while and so we will watch things as they go but we just want to one thank you for uh, continuing to cooperate with the things that we've been asking you to do. I haven't heard personally, maybe somebody's grumbling behind my back, but I haven't heard one complaint about having to mask up or some of the things that we've had to cancel in order to keep you safe. And so that makes it really easy for us to ride the waves of these things and to make some of the hard decisions that we have to make. And so I want to thank you, but I also just want to continue uh, to, to encourage your support and cooperation with whatever may come down the pike. We don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be faithful to gathering whether in person or virtually and we're gonna be faithful to doing whatever it takes to keep our folks safe. And so I just wanna thank you and to also ask you for your continued support and cooperation. Also before I begin the message this morning, I wanna mention uh, that as we move toward the new year, many of you know, particularly if you've been hanging around for a while, that we regularly engage in a 30 day fast, a corporate fast as we uh, enter the new year and this upcoming year is no different. We found this to be super important and helpful because what we ask each and every person in this community to do is to look around the room of your life and consider the things that have maybe grown too large, right? The things that you enjoy but maybe enjoy too much. More specifically, the things that tend to compete with God for your attention and for your affection. And we ask you to identify those things and to faithfully lay those things down for 30 days Not just as a show of piety, but so that you might lean away from those things and lean toward the things of God. And so not only do we ask you to pull away from some things, but we really stock the calendar in January with corporate devotional opportunities, opportunities to serve, opportunities to worship together. A brand new season of small groups will be starting, and you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But we want to give you just a few weeks of notice so that you and your family can pray And seek the Lord as to what he might be inviting you guys to lay down and the other ways he might be inviting you to lean in. And so over the next couple of weeks, you'll hear more about that. But I want to encourage each of you, whether you're here in person or you're watching us online, to engage in this 30-day fast with us. I think it's going to be special, and I know that God's going to use it to do mighty things. Amen? Well, let me get to the word today. I have the privilege of continuing a teaching series that we started a couple weeks ago. A series that we're simply calling God with us. And this is our Advent season uh, uh, teaching series. And Advent, as we've defined over the last couple of weeks, is a season observed by Christians all over the world. It's a time of expectant waiting in preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. And during Advent, we do three things we thank God for his first coming, we prepare for his second coming, and perhaps more importantly, we celebrate his presence among us today we celebrate the fact that we know that God is here with us and so this whole distinction of God being with us really matters because it really matters that God is close it really matters that our God is proximate that he's accessible and that he's near we said a few weeks ago that the world gauges importance by looking at who has status and who has influence and who has resources and who has all the things like power and beauty and all that sort of stuff that, that humans sort of like and, and that, that, that importance and significance is validated because we don't have access to those people, right? The important people aren't close to us. We can't go up and touch them. They're behind a wall of bodyguards or they're away in green rooms or they get to rock through special ropes and that's how we know that people are special. God's greatness, on the other hand, what makes him distinct, he's defined by his nearness, his accessibility, his proximity, because he has status, he has influence, he has all of the resources of heaven and divine power, dominion, and authority. And instead of being aloof and distant, he chooses to draw near to us. And he allows us, in turn, to draw near to him. He comes close. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. In his translation of John chapter 1, verse 14, in the message translation, he says, The word became flesh and blood and what? Moved into the neighborhood. If you want a picture, a word picture of what it means for God to be near to us, having all of the resources, all the uh, importance and swag of heaven, rather than moving into a gated community, he moves into the hood with us. With all of his resources, with all this bounty and blessing, He moves into our neighborhood, and so the goal of this series is to highlight all the ways that God's nearness to us matters and to prime our hearts to enter this season and hopefully exit this season with our hearts tuned to heaven's frequency, our hearts calibrated in the right way because the implications of God's nearness are far-reaching, put a different way, God's with usness matters. And it behooves us to explore the ways that it matters. And so we opened this series a couple of weeks ago by describing how one of the ways that God draws near to us is he brings the light of heaven to earth. And that matters because we are surrounded by darkness. There's darkness around us and there's darkness in us. Jesus is that light. And Jesus also uh, invites us to continue his ministry of light By making us like two. And so that's what we talked about week one. Last week, Pastor Shannon did a great job by highlighting Zechariah and Elizabeth's story at the beginning of Luke chapter one. And she talked to us about how encounter is available to all of us and how these meaningful encounters with God inform the mission, what God has called us to do. Now, I want to continue this series this morning by talking about the supernatural. I want to continue this series by talking about the supernatural and how God's nearness to us manifests itself in supernatural ways. I also want to talk to us about how the supernatural is central, not just to all the scripture, but especially to the Christmas story and how it demonstrates the purposeful nearness of God. And so we all have the same working definition of Supernatural, I'm defining supernatural as attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. Read that again. Attributed to some force or some power beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. Beyond and above what is natural, this is where God hangs out. The realm where heaven and earth intermingles the supernatural. And let me just be the first to say and to own that we humans can have a complicated relationship and a complicated understanding of the supernatural for many reasons, especially if you grew up in church, right? Especially depending on what type of upbringing you had, how you were spiritually formed, really makes a difference as to how you see or whether or not you embrace or keep at arm's length the supernatural. How you were spiritually formed, where you were spiritually formed, who had a hand in spiritually forming you really determines your disposition toward the supernatural. On the one hand, if you're like me and you were raised in a more charismatic setting, you have one view of the supernatural. And some of us were raised in what some might consider unhealthy or extreme or extra. Uh, charismatic settings, and it has shaped and informed uh, how we view the supernatural. Some of us were raised in environments where if I'm just being, if I'm being nice about it, it was just weird. It was strange. Everything was hyper-spiritualized. There was a demon under every single rock, right? And we were encountering regularly people who were, as the saying goes, so spiritually minded that they were really no earthly good. Am I the only one who rubbed shoulders with some of these folks? And it was just kind of, kind of strange. You know, you almost didn't want to invite your friends to church, and you had to give all kinds of disclaimers. Listen, if Sister Sheila comes, and she anoints you with oil, just, just go with it. Deacon Bob asks you if you've been washed in the blood. Trust me, it'll go faster if you just say yes. Tell them you've been washed in the blood. It'll be over. Or we just, I regularly interacted with people who would just randomly, for no reason, speak in tongues. I mean, you would just be at a normal event, and you wouldn't think that the Spirit would be moving in the restaurant when it's time to order. So are you ready to order? Yes, I'll have this. No, I'm not making fun of tongues. I regularly pray in the Spirit. But I'm just like, bro, God's quickening you now at this moment? It's strange, right? On the other hand, you have people who were raised in less charismatic settings, and your spiritual formation sought to downplay or condemn, perhaps even to make fun of, the supernatural. Where uh, outworkings like healing or prophecy or various other gifts or moves of the spirit uh, we're looked upon as odd and extra-biblical. Because somehow, some way, you put all that supernatural stuff that you read in Scripture, that you kept that in the box of Scripture. God is not doing that stuff right now. The supernatural isn't really flowing like that right now. And so you've managed, with a clear conscience, I'm not making fun of you, to keep the supernatural and the things of the Spirit at an arm's length. Others of you are new to faith or exploring faith. You've been peeking in the window of various communities of faith, and frankly to you, the supernatural is weird, and it's kind of out there. And let me just be the first to say that it is weird, and it is out there, which is why I get extra frustrated with people who make it weirder than it already is. In fact, it is one of my aims as a minister, and it's one of my aims as the architect of the atmosphere of this church, is that we will be no weirder than Jesus was. We won't be any tamer than he was. We won't be any less radical than he was, but we try not to be weirder than our savior. But it's not hard when you behold the landscape of the church to see the supernatural as weird, it's clunky, and it's complicated. And I'm just owning that at the outset because I want to say what I want to say next. And what I want to say next is this. You cannot have genuine faith without embracing the supernatural. You cannot have genuine faith without embracing, to a major degree, the supernatural. From cover to cover of the book God hands us is brimming with the supernatural. In fact, if you were to extract the supernatural from the scriptures, you might just be left with maybe the maps in the back, or maybe those little blank pages they put in the backs of Bibles for. No, if you were to extract the supernatural from the scripture, because from cover, from cover to cover, from creation when the Lord spoke to nothing and created everything that we see, ex nihilo, from nothing. To the exodus and the deliverance, the divine deliverance of God's people from slavery to the prophets. Come on, to the Gospels where Jesus is born of a virgin, dies and gets back up, right? You'd have to totally cut out the Gospels. Don't even think about the book of Acts. Completely rip out the epistles and don't go near revelations if you don't, you know, want to engage with the supernatural from cover to cover said, Preacher, what's your point? You cannot have genuine faith without the supernatural. He said, Preacher, that all makes sense, but what does any of that have to do with Advent? Well, the scriptures are full of the supernatural, but especially the Christmas story. And every time we engage the scriptures, we're supposed to be asking ourselves, so what? What does it matter to me? What difference does any of that make? And so it's important as we engage this Christmas story that we're regularly asking, what does this mean for us? It matters because heaven, friends, has come to earth. The person and work of Jesus is here as God's enacted rescue plan for humanity to save wretched folks like you and let me say my name first, save wretched folks like me and maybe you. We're all in the same boat. This is God's rescue plan. What's more is that a whole lot of folks were involved along the way that God's story and his movement throughout the the earth is riding on a wave of yeses from folks who have surrendered their life to him. God could do all this stuff by himself, but he doesn't, He ropes us in to get his stuff done on the earth. He empowers and he resources regular old people like you and me to do supernatural, extraordinary things. That's why the supernatural matters. And it is our goal to take this really romanticized Christmas story that's on this high glorious shelf and bring it down to a low shelf so that it might inform our lives and how God might be speaking to us. So that it might inform how might God want to work with us. And so the focus of today is God taking his supernatural power, all of heaven's resources, and pairing that with broken, ordinary humanity to get great things done. I'm simply calling this message this morning His Super Plus Our Natural. His Super Plus Our Natural. And we're gonna look at a really, really popular episode of the Christmas story. This is Mary's story, and I think this is a really faithful, helpful demonstration of how God partners with ordinary humanity, with all of the resources of heaven to fulfill the purposes of God on the earth. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 26. Would you meet me there in your Bibles or in your tablets or in your phones this morning? We'll also be projecting the words on the screens while you find that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the unique opportunity I have to stand before your people on the Lord's day and to share your word. Come Holy Spirit, Come, Lord Jesus. We prepare our hearts to receive from you today. We prepare our hearts to respond to you. Father, we know that you want to pair your super with our natural. You want to resource calling and the purpose that you have for us. Help us to be available this morning. Show us through this familiar story what you might have us to act on today. Come, Holy Spirit, and do the heavy lifting this morning. And I pray for those who are struggling this morning. I pray for those who are just dragging the floor. Those who are in survival mode, Lord, I know you want us to thrive. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come in ways that are powerful, in ways that are meaningful, in ways that are measurable, so that we might experience you in a unique way. Put power on these words you've given me to preach this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? His super." plus our natural, we're in Luke chapter one, starting at verse 26. Reads as follows. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favorite woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of the Lord will never fail. Verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, we almost always encounter this text around the Christmas season. And at the expense of sounding like a broken record, I urge you yet again not to check out as we engage a familiar passage because we are reading from what? The living word, right? Which means that God can show you something 30 seconds from now in the same passage that you missed before because it's the living, breathing word of God. And so my encouragement to you is to lean in. But this is a fascinating text Mainly because it's brimming with the supernatural. Also because it demonstrates that God is always working. It also demonstrates that God is always up to something, and his up-to-somethingness always usually works by pulling us, humanity, into what he's doing. In fact, his favorite vehicle for getting his stuff done in the earth seems to be us, other humans. And so the way that God chooses to bless others and instruct other people and correct other people and to heal them and to encourage them and to resource them and to save humanity is by using what? Other humanity. God's always up to something. It's always up to something. In this story, demonstrates us, and it is the embodiment of this whole idea that God is near us, that God is with us, that his power is here, and he wants to use us for his purposes. It's a powerful demonstration also of how God pairs his super with our natural and does great things. And in the spirit of that, I want to pull out three things that stand out in this text. And as we walk through this text and I highlight like these three things, I want you to consider how this might be put to work in your own life. I want to take this story out of the clouds, as it were, and bring it down to where we are. And so ask the Holy Spirit, in your seat right now, as we walk through this, Lord, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for my life? What does this mean for the call you put on my life? How can I locate this in my life? Three things that I see in this text. The first is Mary's natural, right? I want to look at Mary's natural. This ordinary person, what she brings to the table. Luke gives us all the pertinent details starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel to Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And the, the angel shows up and says that the Lord is with you. Verse 29, confused. She's confused and disturbed by all this, as one would. And the angel tells her, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, while there's plenty of supernatural activity happening in this passage, we'll get to that second, but there's a whole lot of just ordinary basic stuff happening as well. Who's a young virgin. Her name is Mary. She's engaged, angel shows up, in a very human reaction. She's confused and disturbed by all this, and the angel tells her she's going to conceive and have a son. And it's just a short list of all of the things that I pulled out of this passage that I would just consider basic human realities. There's nothing really supernatural about any of this stuff, right? That there would be a virgin in the first century right, that, there were, that her name would be Mary, which I understand might have been a common name, that she would be engaged, that she would get confused and disturbed, like all these things are pretty basic. And this list is a list, a short list of all the things that Mary brought to the table, and frankly, this isn't much. You don't look at the, this list of basic things and go, I think the Messiah might come through that. I think I might be so impressed by this young virgin girl named Mary that the Messiah might come through her womb. Like That's not what we would think if we're honest about this. The scriptures doesn't tell us anything special about this young girl. She wasn't of Kardashian quality importance in the first century. The scriptures don't tell us anything about her looks, or about her pedigree, or whether or not she was an influencer on whatever platforms would have been available in the first century, this is a basic, ordinary first century girl. And yet, she is seen by God. And yet, she is located by God and not just known about, and not just seen, but she is singled out. God saw her. God had her coordinates, and this should encourage and frighten us. It should encourage us because many of you feel like your basicness disqualifies you. In the age of social media where we have constant reminders that we don't have it, you say, well, what is it? Don't worry about it. You don't have it. We live in a a society that exalts the beautiful and exalts the wealthy and well-connected, and we're reminded on a daily basis, in fact, we've gotten ourselves addicted to these daily, weekly, hourly, minutely reminders that we don't have it. And we've been thoroughly convinced that our basicness disqualifies you the world teaches you that and depending on what church you grew up in you might be spiritually formed to think that the special people get used by God you might have grown up in a church context where it just so happened that all the folks who were singing on stage were just really good looking and really fit and they they must have coordinated their outfits because they're wearing the same boots And while nobody explicitly said it, you might gather that if you're basic and if you didn't get the memo about just having the tear in the jeans at the right place and the right sneakers and the right form and physique and the right looks, you might get the idea that God only uses the beautiful. Or maybe you were socialized, spiritually formed in a place where it just so happened that all the rich people made all the decisions in the church. Didn't matter how you were living, didn't matter how you treated your wife, didn't matter whether you were honest or walked in integrity. If your family had some money, you were somehow a deacon. Or you had influence or you hold sway over how the, and so you might be formed to feel like if you're not wealthy or well connected then somehow maybe there's something about that that God looks, looks for and, and that your basicness and your ordinarity, ordinar, ordinariness somehow disqualified you and if that's what you came in here with I have just one suggestion for you read your Bible from cover to cover Take your time with it. And even a casual glance would uncover Moses. Couldn't talk good. And yet God chose him to lead his people out of slavery. Gideon, the least in his family, God chose him. The prophets were a mess. Read the stories. King David the runt of his family. In fact, the prophet shows up to his daddy's house to pick the next king. They didn't even invite him to the lineup. The prophet said, you, is there anybody else? Because God, I'm not seeing the oil flow on any of these cats. They said, well, I guess David's in the bag. I guess he's out there tending the sheep. The prophet said, yeah, go get him. Read the scriptures. Have you beheld the apostles? <laughs> the disciples? These cats were a mess. And you think that your basicness and your ordinariness disqualifies you. Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor, for the kingdom is theirs. Put a different way, blessed are those whose arms aren't already full. Blessed are those who are traveling light. Blessed are those that might be agile and quick to say yes without a whole lot of deliberation, without a whole lot of pondering what they might gain if they say yes to the assignment, blessed are those who are traveling light. Which is why God seems to approach those with empty hands, of low estate, of humble means, and if you came in with the fractured thinking that your ordinariness disqualifies you, Think again, because it's our basicness, it's our lowness that I believe makes us attractive to the Lord. See somebody who's available, who's agile, who's ready to move at a moment's notice. I can work with that. Blessed are the basic. Blessed are the unlikely to be chosen by man. Blessed are the ordinary, this is Mary. And we could and we should see ourselves in this story because some of us have a serious complex about this. And hopefully as you see this story and you see this young virgin girl with different eyes today that you might say, maybe God can use me. Now you probably don't want a virgin birth kind of situation happening, but just that maybe somehow, some way, God prefers me. Or God favors me or that he has something for me to do. Just maybe. Because God seeks to take this really ordinary list of things, unimpressive list of things that Mary brought to the table, these meekle things and pair his supernatural with it and all of heaven's bounty and resource so that he can do something extraordinary. So the second thing I want to pull out of this story is heaven's super or God's super. We saw Mary's natural. What's God's super? Verse 30 says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel. His kingdom will never end. This is some powerful stuff. Mary's confused about this. says, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. There's more. Verse 35, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will what? Come upon you. What's more, the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. And the angel even brung up what happened just a few months ago with Elizabeth. Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. She was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never, ever fail. Now we started by pointing out all the basic things that Mary brought to the party, right? Now I think it's helpful and necessary... To consider what God shows up with because we've already agreed that Mary could not accomplish what actually happened with simply what she brings to the party it's not enough but when we behold what God shows up with now we got a party now now we're cooking right This is a major pronouncement. The angel said, you thought Elizabeth's situation was interesting. Wait until you see what happens with you. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. He will have the throne of his ancestor David. How could Mary ever pull this off? She can't. She won't. Not by herself. But God can. And God does. You see, in order for Mary to make this happen, she would need something special. And by special, I mean the power of the Holy Spirit. The out-of-this-world dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And my favorite verse in all of this is this verse, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you're, if you're in your notes or in your Bible, write down or underline that word overshadow because that's the money word in all of this. And that overshadow means that it will just, God's God's, God's power in his presence, fueled by his will to do something, fueled by his will for a dynamic outcome, will overtake something that which is natural, ordinarily unable to produce that result, he will overshadow it to his ends for his will, for his glory, for his purpose. The power of the Spirit will overshadow you so that ordinary you paired with the might and power and the resource and bounty of heaven might do something extraordinary. Now, this is super important. Why? Because if you have kept the supernatural at an arm's length, if you're satisfied with just being a good person, if you're satisfied with just showing up as an agent of God's light it's just being nice and just being generous, and you're content to function in your life without the power of Holy Spirit, we are leaving a lot of money on the table. Because what we can do on our own is not enough to push back the kingdom of darkness. Niceness does not win folks from the kingdom of darkness. Niceness does not unseat supernatural demonic hosts. Niceness won't unseat racism and bigotry and sexism and violence and murder and hate. Niceness has never unseated that. It is the kingdom of God pushing back forcefully against the kingdom of darkness. It is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You need that to be on mission where you live, where you work, where you go to school. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And all of this good stuff that could never happen by your own doing will come, will come to pass. It's a major disruption of her life plans. Now she's on track to be the mother of God. Not only does she need a supernatural Power to do this, she will need a divine grace to do this hard new thing. And I think that's one of the hidden, underspoken about realities of what God calls us to do. He not only empowers us by the Spirit to do hard things or the things that He's called us to do, but He also releases a divine grace to each individual to do what they have been called to do. I've learned, by the way, not to be looking over the fence wanting somebody else's ministry or wanting somebody else's life or wanting somebody else's assignment because, you know what, God only releases one grace for a person to do that. You might be looking at somebody and say, man, I really want to walk in that. I really wish that God had given me that. And no, you don't want that. Trust me, you don't want that. You look at somebody's family, you look at somebody's wife, you say, man, I want that. God, you should have given me that. No, God has given them a unique grace to be who they are, to be married who they're married to. My my wife has been given a unique divine grace. I tell her all the time how lucky she is, how fortunate she is, but the truth is the the Lord has knit us together. And he has graced me to deal with this woman. And he has graced her to deal with me. He's graced me to pastor this church. And to run into the burning houses that our assignment calls us to run into. He's, he's empowered us and he's graced us to do this. And if God is calling you to something challenging, guess what? He will empower you to do it and he will grace you to do it. And people will look at you. outside Outsiders will look at you and say, make, make that look so easy. The divine grace, divine empowerment of the spirit to do hard, challenging things. And I'm super glad that Mary is as young as she is, a young, like teenager. And I just wanna camp on that for a second because I understand our our student ministry is in the room. This isn't just like the adult, grown-up stuff. And for those of you in middle school and those of you in high school, like God, like he's empowering you now. The Holy Spirit, as did Mary, wants to overshadow you now for his ends and for his purposes. This is for everybody in the room. This is God's super connecting with Mary's natural. I wonder how this might be speaking to you today. I wonder what feelings this might be churning up what curiosities percolate? What new possibilities concerning what God might be calling you toward? What words that have been spoken of you and, and callings that have been made known to you that you have set aside? Because you know that in your own strength you could not accomplish them. Of course! God doesn't give us anything to do that we can accomplish in our own strength. Which is why it just baffled by people who say, well, God will never give you more than He only gives me what I can't handle. He only gives me and assigns to me and you what I need, his power and his presence, and his divine grace to carry out. That's all he gives us. And I'll be honest, I I like to often file down my assignments to something that my skill set can do. And just file down the edge and and make it fit into what I can rely on, Gino. Like, I'm good for that. And something tells me that you are too. But I've learned over the years that the measuring stick of whether or not it's something from God or not, one one of the sieves that I take calling through is, can I accomplish this on my own? If I can, God's probably not calling me to it can I do this without the Lord's help? Like if the Lord doesn't overshadow me, like if the Spirit doesn't empower me, can I accomplish it? It's super plus our natural. Some of you need to hear this word today. Some of you need to be reminded that the living God who put you here for a purpose, wants to pair his super with our natural to get his stuff done on the earth. And let me just pause there for a beat because so, so many of us are just, you're just living for yourself. If you, if you look at your bank statement, if you look at your calendar, if you look at all the stuff you spend your life doing, all that stuff is aimed at getting you a better life. Is securing for yourself a better future, for, for, for increasing the earning potential and, and the quality of life for you, and that is not why you're here. That is not why you're here. God put you here for his purposes. And some of us, as we reckon with this today, will have to understand that to date... We haven't been on mission because, like, you don't need the Spirit to make as much money as you make to live in the nice. Like, you don't need the Spirit for that to take care of you and yours to secure a bag for yourself. Like, you don't need the Spirit for that. But to continue His ministry of light to push back the kingdom of darkness. To be his inside man, his inside woman in the places where he's called you, you need the spirit and more. And some of you will wrestle with this reality that you're just not living a life on mission. But God wants to pair his super with our natural to get his stuff done so that folks might be saved. So that folks might be delivered and set free and fold it into the family of God and realize their purpose and destiny and to go and do the same. Like We need the spirit for that. I love this story. To frame it in this way because it's really easy to put this romanticized story just to leave it up in the clouds, right? But I believe that God wants us to bring this out of the clouds because you've been called and graced To work where you work, Hmm? to parent who you parent, to lead and influence where you lead and influence, to teach in the classrooms that you teach, to go to school students where you go to school. You have been called and graced to be there, to work in the factory where you work, to work in the prison where you work, to work in the office where you work. You've been called and graced my God. And I wonder what impact you might have if you understood that you need the power of the Spirit to go to work every day. You say, Lord, show me what I can't see. Overwhelm me today. Overtake me today. Overpower me so that I can be your agent here. Our teachers, be prayed up before you go to the classroom. Students, to be prayed up before you go to school, recognize that even at your young and tender age, God wants to use you. He wants to overshadow you for his purposes and for his glory. Now, I've talked to you this morning about two things. I talked to you about Mary's natural or what we humanly bring to the table, which we've identified as not enough to accomplish the grand things that God has for us. And we've identified... God's super. The third and final thing that I want to acknowledge because I think it's important to this story is is Mary's posture toward all of this. It's the often unspoken about ingredient in all of this. Because we have our natural stuff and God has his supernatural stuff But if those things are to cooperate together, it takes what? A certain posture, right? So when we talk about Mary's life, this is a sudden major turn of events for this young girl. She's engaged to be married. Her life seems to be on a promising yet predictable track to the best possible life for a young girl in the first century. And here she is upended by this dynamic prophetic Pronouncement that she would now be the mother of God. This is like a heavy thing, right? And what's her response? How does she handle this? Verse 38 tells us. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. I'll sit with that for a second. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And the angel left her. King James Version says, she replied, be it unto me as you have spoken. This is how she responded. But this isn't just her response. Because I think to to, to frame this as what she said is to reduce this young woman's faithfulness in a way that's not fair to her. To reply to this sudden disruptive calling flows not from the head, but it flows from the heart. I'll say it again, to reply and to respond in this way flows not from the head or even the mouth, but it starts in the heart. It flows from what must be a deep place of faith and trust. It must flow from what must be a soul that is anchored in the Lord, which is super remarkable for someone of her tender age. And I say this again, knowing that our young people are in this room, and I just want, I just would that you, you would understand what God could do with a young yes. A, a young yes. You know, we grew up in a setting With all kinds of crime and drama and a bunch of saved folks. But the only testimony we heard was, man, I got shot seven times, and I died on the table, and God brought me back, and here I am, 65, I'm running for my life for the Lord. And person after person talked about how they gave their best years away to the streets and their best years away to drugs and their best years away to prostitution, and God in his faithfulness had rescued that. But I didn't hear a whole lot of testimonies about young yeses. Well, somebody said, I was, I, I was born in the church, and, and, and by God's grace, I'll die here. But God saved me at three, four, five, six, seven years old, and, and he kept me, and he rescued me. He sequestered me from that stuff so that I might be a young witness to the faithfulness of God. Who, who wants to give God a young yes? And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I'm, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm one of the... Preachers, kids who 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 didn't run from the church. Who, who, who didn't try to try to get out and sow my oats everywhere, mostly because God just kept me too stupid to the things of the world where I just didn't, right? The Spirit had overshadowed me in ways that I that I could I can only see with clarity now. That I missed all the signals that would have lured me into places of sin and brokenness that would have me paying a cost for it right now. It was a divine grace that God put on my life to to, to take the track that I took. And the fruit of it is that I could stand before youth groups and say that you, you can follow God's plan A for you. That you can give the Lord a young yes. And that we as a church can be raising up people, young people, all the way from the infant room to understand that God created you with purpose, that you don't have to go and give the best years of your life and then come stumbling back to faith 45 and 50. You better hear me, young people a young yes, right now. That doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. That doesn't mean that the things of the world might not sparkle and glisten. That you might not stumble and fall. It means that your posture will be toward a yes to the Lord. This is to say... That her reply, her response demonstrated a posture that she had toward the Lord. Seemed to be like a way of life for her. The fruit of which keeps a yes on your lips, ready for the Lord to give you instruction. The fruit of which your, your feet are swift to move in the direction that God would point. Can I be honest with you this morning? I I don't find myself here that easily. I might be a surprise to you that your preacher doesn't immediately connect with this posture, but maybe I did before we grew this church into what it is. Maybe I was a little agile, a little more obedient, faster to say yes when we didn't have anything. We weren't established. But I would that my posture be, I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me, Lord, as you have spoken. My suspicion is that others can resonate with the fact that this is a place this is a place that we, we need to aspire to and often it's the case that this is not where we are and i don't say that to condemn i say that to lo- help, help help you locate yourself on the spectrum but what's true is god is eager to use folks like this don't have much don't need much, the yes on your lips, feet ready to move. So because of her posture, she was favored by God, and God was easy, it was easy for God to to pair heaven super with her natural. And I wonder how this speaks to you today. Worship team, you can come up as I land the plane. How is this sitting with you this morning? Some of you feel remarkably encouraged that the God of heaven sees you. It was news to you that your ordinariness doesn't disqualify you, but rather it it qualifies you to be used by God. Others of you were delighted to know that God could take your basicness, pair it with the resources and bounty of heaven to do something meaningful in the earth like you were encouraged by that. Others of you were shaken and convicted because you've been living for you. The current configuration of your life doesn't need the Holy Spirit, doesn't need the supernatural. You aren't curious about it. You're not looking into the matter because you're living for you. And I say this with all affection. The Lord says, Get over yourself today. Get over yourself today. Because He has work for you to do. And the Lord wants us to examine our posture this morning. Is our life His? Is our hope in him only? Will we give him our young, middle age, or elderly yes today, wherever you happen to be on the spectrum? That's for you to decide. But God's got something for you to do. My thought is that it's not like in the distant future, but like God's got something for you to do right now. And if you would just surrender your yes to him, I think he'll show you what that is. So as we close today, I want to sing this final song. And I want to invite you to invite the Spirit to speak to you and point out just where this should apply today. So would you stand with me as I pray and as we be uh, leaning toward this final song? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place. And you have permission to arrest what you want to arrest, to put your finger on what you want to put your finger on, Call us higher this morning. Call us higher. Come, Lord Jesus. Speak, Lord. Move in this place.